0: Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Albert Gim and Corey Talibah of the Draft Act podcast and No Ceilings NBA to have a little primer for the 2023 draft. We're talking Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, and the Thompson twin scouting reports from those two guys in person on all the star players in the 2023 draft right now on Locked On Knicks.
1: You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There
0: he comes right now. shot Within
1: a five. Ewing from the left. Yes. Touch left. Now fires it three. And he's good. And he's fouled. And he's And he's Anthony for three.
0: Pictures. today's episode is brought to you by bet online bet online now has you coverage covered with more props odds and lines than ever before BetOnline online is where the game starts and i want to thank you for making locked on Knicks your first listen today and every day we are now available on all platforms and that includes you know this if you see my smiling face on youtube so go check us out on youtube when you get a chance throw us a subscription throw us a comment throw us a like Pose a question even, you know, do my job for me. But who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. I'm normally joined by Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. Uh, but he is off for the day. So I brought in two experts, Albert Gim, Corey Tulliba, uh, to break down the best prospects in the 2023 draft and who they're looking out for this college basketball season right now on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, as promised, we are joined by Albert Gim and Corey Tulliba of both the Draft Act podcast and both writers at No Ceilings NBA. Guys, it's your time of year. College basketball season is rolling on. Uh, how, how are you guys feeling? Are you, are you excited? Are you enjoying it? Like are, are things being confirmed or things like that you, you thought you're questioning? Like what, what, what's the general sense right now?
1: I'm feeling good about my my homework that I did uh leading up to the process early on as these uh players beat up on what we have deemed as whoever the F State University uh that they play early on in their non-conference schedule. So, uh I feel good about my evaluations early. It's still very early and uh but last night uh with the Champions Classic, it's typically what we feel like is the the kickoff of the real college season. So, it's, it's now officially here, and uh, I, I don't want to speak for Albert and, and the rest of the team at No Ceilings, but I feel like I, I couldn't be more excited about where we're at.
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I think I feel the same. Um, as Corey said, it's still really early in the season. We've only got like two or three games from all the teams, but um, a lot of good stuff has happened. A lot of our convictions so far have been proven to be correct. And uh, all we could do is sit back and continue to let the kids play. But overall, it's been a pretty fun and uh, interesting experience so far.
0: Nice. Uh, I want to I want to zoom in on this season, but I want to start off big picture and, and kind of Knicks centric because there is there is some discourse, uh, Albert, as, as a fellow Knicks fan, you might be aware of, but in the Knicks community about. All right, like we're we're kind of okay, like but we're clearly not going to be good. We're clearly not going to win a playing game, and and to some extent that was the expectation coming in. But I think just because of the current allocation of minutes on the Knicks and, and and who is contributing to wins and how they're contributing to wins, there's a discourse of like, oh man, what if what if we just tanked? And I I think like in some ways you can pretty easily squash that conversation in the sense that like all right, but if the Knicks were actually playing the guys that we wanted them to play, like they would actually be better than they are right now, but. How much, like, if if you guys were 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 draft doctors for NBA teams, like, what's the prescription for a young team that is kind of middling and clearly needs a star talent through the draft to get better, but is almost too good for their own good and will miss out on that star talent? Albert, I'll I'll start with you as 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 the Knicks guy here.
2: Well, you know what, in terms of, so I'll speak specifically about the Knicks. Um, If I'm looking at the Knicks right now my answer so i got your questions before and i did some you know pre-recording prep and my answer that i wrote in my notes was absolutely not um for me it's i I think it's kind of ridiculous that we're making such um we're we're making such wild judgments 14 games into the season I, i think it's still pretty damn early i understand that you know Nick fans have always, we have always been pretty impatient. And I can understand that we want to see results right now. And I know that everyone's probably freaking out that uh, Donovan Mitchell is playing really great in Cleveland and wondering why we missed out on him. I can understand all that. My only thing is, this is a Knicks team that through 14 games is 500. Now, if you want to talk about a team that's going to play in the play-in and potentially win, well, if you sit at 500, you're probably going to be in the play-in right Uh, most likely I don't know I won't I won't guarantee it but you're going to be in that range so if we're a team that is 500 through 14 games and once again we've only been through 14 games and we have all the assets that we have in terms of I think we have like 10 tradable draft picks or something we have all these young guys we there's a lot of potential for this team to make a move I'm just a little confused as to why it's such gloom and doom. If the Knicks right now were two and twelve, I'd understand. Then we'd have the conversation. Sure, this team probably should tank, or maybe they already are tanking, right? But at seven and seven, with the way that we just went into Utah and beat Utah, who I think had the boat, the best home record coming into that game, I, I'm just a little confused at, about like where that discourse is coming and why we should even entertain it is kind of where my head was at when I got your question. And mm-hmm. I think ultimately I, I'll let Corey answer the, you know, the larger picture a question. But for me, in t- speaking specifically to the Knicks, I would say absolutely not. I think we should let things play out and also uh, leverage the assets that we have and see what we can do in maybe a month or two and maybe that could push us forward and we're talking about a much better team than even the 500 team which is pretty decent uh that we're seeing right now yeah Corey, what are your thoughts on
0: that uh
1: yeah i mean i i would kind of tend to agree from an outsider's perspective who you know watches a lot of knicks games and grew up in new york i feel like they're playing exactly to my expectations and I think the Knicks are in a tricky situation because if you're going to tank, you can't play Jalen Brunson. And that is your new acquisition. Who's probably one of the better free agents that the the Knicks have signed uh, in their recent history. And like, he's playing really well and, and he's exactly kind of what a theoretical Knicks team wants and needs where I think the Knicks right now could get in trouble. And it's something that I feel like I've been stuck in a, as a fan of, the bulls before. And I've seen a lot of teams um, struggle with is like, you feel like, well, only if we fired the coach, things would get better. Or only if we played the young guys, things would get better. And like, there's no guarantee in that. And one of the things that tends to happen when you do build a team organically, which is not something the Knicks have done over the last 20 years is you tend to fall in love with your young players to a point where if you went and had a conversation with another team's fan base, people who actually were locked in and paying attention, I don't think those feelings would be reciprocated the same way. And now that's normal from a fan base. But I I think in the position that the Knicks are in now, I do think they have to pick a direction, I guess, but I just don't see any way that they could tank. Like, I think any which way they kind of choose, they might end up around the same record. But, I just don't even know how they get there. My biggest gripe would be more so with the front office Mm. than with the coaching staff. And I think the front office has done a tremendous job in, you know, acquiring assets for the future, but that is, you know, playing a speculation game that you don't know what these assets turn into. And I don't think this team fits. So it's also hard to evaluate all of the pieces together. I mean, yeah, you have you kind of have to sign Mitchell Robinson to this deal in the summer, but he also doesn't really fit with the players that you have. So now you're stuck in a situation where he's healthy, you feel like you have to play him. If even if the, the the Knicks get rid of Tibbs, are you benching Julius Randle? I don't if you're a new coach, uh, do you have the the cojones to do that to, to this guy who, you know, was an all NBA player just a couple of years ago, potential all star type of talent. Is R.J. Barrett just who he is Is the or is the coaching staff actually holding him back? These are all questions I don't think there are definitive answers to. And, you know, I, I love Quentin Grimes. He's been hurt, so he's still up in the air. But I feel like when he gets going, he's going to help kind of mold himself into being a glue guy that can kind of hopefully guide some of these decisions organically. Because I think he offers a lot of what modern NBA teams want. But there's also the conundrum. You sign Jalen Brunson who's playing really well. And then Knicks fans love nobody more on the team, I think than Emmanuel quickly. And I just think if you're asking yourself, honestly, is that a backcourt that could actually play in the playoffs starting next to each other together? My, uh, my unbiased opinion, I would say no, yeah. At, not if you actually want to win. Uh, and, and, you know, quickly's in guys, this is his third year, he hasn't shot above, from the floor yet. So yeah, as many excuses as you want, there are still things you have to sort out. I don't know. I think the Knicks do need to pick a direction, but that's like Albert said, are you making a move with your assets or are you just riding this thing out and letting the frustration build and permeate through the entire team? Whatever it is, I think it does have to happen soon, but I also don't think that there's a miracle cure that Knicks fans are going to be happy with. And there might be, you know, some hard truths learned when that direction does happen.
0: All right, guys, before we continue with Albert and Corey, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor on Locked on Knicks. And it's one, I don't know if you can hear my voice. I am super excited to talk about because I've known of their work for a long time. And it's, it's just, it's it's cool to be involved. It is masterclass. With masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can perfect your jump shot with Steph Curry. You can improve your cooking skills with Gordon Ramsey. You could even learn comedy from Steve Martin. I mean, who, who would have thought that was a possibility 20, 30 years ago? With over 180 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I, I want to circle back to the Steve Martin comedy class, because to me, that was the that was the single most exciting thing on here. And what, what's, what's pretty incredible about it is, they got these guys who who don't really need the money, right? Steph doesn't need the money. Steve Martin doesn't really need the money. And yet they are really taking their time to teach you the skills. It's not just a lecture. They're not just talking at you. It, it, it is slow. It is meticulous. And, and it is stated in a way that you will get better at whatever it is you need to improve on. I highly recommend you check it out this holiday. Give one annual membership and get one for free. Go to masterclass.com slash locked on today. That's masterclass.com slash locked on today. Terms do apply. Yeah, I think that's on both of you guys. I agree with a lot of what each of you said. I, I don't think I, I kind of said it at the beginning, but tanking just isn't realistic when they might be better by doing what nominally teams in the past have done to tank. And, and they certainly won't be bad enough that I guess it makes a meaningful difference in terms of their equity at guys like, like a Wemby or a Scoot who were going to talk about in a second i think in and this is bigger picture so we don't really have to dive into and gets a little out of the purview of the draft i think process is is a big thing um like for our end like watching them night in and night out and like seeing a guy like quickly who you're absolutely right like the shooting is like kind of mystifying and extremely frustrating this is the second straight year he started badly and yet Simultaneously, I think he has like the best like aggregate plus minus of any Nick in the last 20 years, despite being on like three years of of mediocre basketball. So like there's clearly like really good things that happen when the guy's on the floor. And the same thing's true for for Obi Toppin, which like I saw someone, I think it was Dean on, on Twitter phrase it really well today. And it's like rarely do you have a team like take a guy eighth, and like at this point, like I would say he's he's exceeding expectations of what people thought he was gonna be, and he's still only playing 15 minutes per game. So to me, like Again, and like it's it's easier said than done to move off of Randall or or, or to bench him, but that is like I, I I I see both sides of it where I don't think everything would be daisies and rainbows if if Randall was gone and Fournier was gone and the team wouldn't suddenly be amazing. But also like there there's a like this season should ultimately be about self-discovery. And I think while there isn't a clear path to tank, the idea that quote-unquote like like winning with vets should be like of the utmost importance and the idea that like we're hearing that like they might be shopping ob and they might be shopping iq because they're hesitant to pay them is like is just kind of oh a little gross to me because it it doesn't jive with that notion of like all right whether they end up winning or losing games like the priority should just be finding out what they have yeah but anyways we can we can move on to uh to why uh <laughs> main, main reason i'm having you guys on and that is uh draft stuff so albert i will circle this back to you because you were there in person for the uh when uh scoot uh extravaganza uh the the party uh the, the greatest matchup in, in modern scouting history since lebron and Melo. uh could you just could you sum up like what the highs of that experience were and like and, and how those games maybe changed your opinion of the players
2: yeah i i think the experience as a whole was pretty incredible i i think the way that you just described it it was is pretty spot on i mean even when we were there in the moment i don't even think myself and i went with tyler rucker also from no ceilings um i don't think even we really understood the, the magnitude of the moment like realizing like hey we're here potentially watching history of two of you know the more highly touted prospects we've seen in a long time. And Victor Wembanyama is being considered, like you said, by many to be the best prospect since LeBron or whoever. So considering all that, like while we were there, I don't think we were thinking in those terms. I think the way that we were thinking about it is like, okay, we're going to come see Victor who before we saw him live, we actually had a lot of questions about his game from what we saw from his overseas tape and stuff like that. we, we were excited to see him play, but we weren't like, okay, we're going to go see the next, you know, absolute superstar, mega star, supernova player, you know? And then, we got there and watching them play was an unbelievable experience. I think especially with Victor Wembanyama, seeing him up close, just watching him in warm-ups first was an experience unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. Just to see him the way that he was moving, the fluidity of his movement at his size. In my opinion, I think he's very easily seven foot five. Um, I know he gets listed some places as seven three, seven four, but I, I think he's definitely taller. He made everyone in the building look like like it 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 it, it was so weird. Like yeah. he didn't seem human, how big he was. I know everyone's calling him the Martian and yeah. stuff like that, but I understand where that comes from. It's just jarring to see a human being that big. But also on top of that, his his movement, the way that he carried himself, the way that he moved around the court, the way he ran, right? His gait, all that stuff. It was just unbelievable to see and then you see him working on his post game his mid post game you see him working on his shooting and the touch is unbelievable and the handle is really good for a guy that size as well so it watching him warm up that was an experience in its own right then the game started and you see scoot and scoot was just like hey like i think it's great that this guy is getting all this attention and that people think he's gonna be really good but it, it, scoot essentially walked into the gym and was and was like I'm pretty much the same caliber as this guy was what it felt like that was his MO. He wanted to educate the world on who he was as a player and let them know I'm just as good as Victor Wembanyama is what it felt like in terms of the way that he was kind of carrying himself and the way that he started off the game. He was really aggressive. He played really hard. He wanted to punch Victor and that team right in the mouth is kind of what it felt like. And he came out and look, ultimately both guys put on an unbelievable showing. They played so well, so hard. Victor was able to showcase almost every aspect of his game, both offensively and defensively. Defensively, On the offensive side, just the shooting was unbelievable. The motion, the movement shooting was great. Uh, he was catching and facing up in the mid-post, doing stuff from there, defensively, blocking all kinds of shots, showing his versatility, being able to – the guard on the perimeter, he's you know mo- moving his feet, flipping his his hips. He's doing everything, and then Scoot on the other end showcased so much of the improved show, um, the improved uh, shooting, the playmaking, the. The pick and roll stuff that he he was doing was unbelievable that the timing with his passes the anticipation the vision just knowing where everyone was going to be he was hitting some unbelievable like weak side hits on passes and stuff it was just an unbelievable experience and then after the fact as rucker and i both came back we both realized like wow we we just witnessed potentially history yeah like this was an unbelievable thing that we got to attend and that we got to be on the floor for as well so i i hope that answers your question in terms of what no, that definitely. experience was like it was awesome it, it was really really great
0: yeah i think my my favorite part about it was how both of them had a sense of the moment and and really embraced it and and to me that's i mean maybe not underrated because a lot of people talk about it but but it's it's, it's sometimes under discussed with, with stars and like, not even in terms of like, like obviously a final four game or an NCAA tournament game like that, that is stakes in terms of win or go home. I'm talking about purely in terms of showmanship and understanding like, like an appreciation of like, oh, all eyes are on me. And like for Scoot, especially like just, just physically being the underdog, the David to Wemby's Goliath, in that matchup and just being like, all right, bet. I'm, I'm going at him every time. I'm going to cross him up. I'm going to try and dunk in his face. And and, and then, like, Wemby going right back. And, like, you, you I, I've certainly seen it sometimes, like, with bigs in particular, where, like, especially when they're younger, they're a little timid and they don't totally have their confidence yet. And, like, and I doubt in his career, like, I, I mean, obviously playing EuroLeague, he's, he's seen guards that are more experienced and more skilled. I, I doubt he's ever gone against a guard as, as talented as Scoot is. And that had to, like, phase him for a second but then it felt like he he like punched right back and 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 to me that that is a superstar quality in in and of itself Albert. All right guys, we're going to wrap up this conversation on college basketball but before we do, let me tell you about betonline.net. They are your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix in. And what I'm looking to get my betting fix on is NBA MVP odds. Jason Tatum is the favorite at three to one. I could see it happening, but it's ultimately a award about counting stats. So if you want... A little bit more of a long shot. Uh, May I recommend Joel Embiid at twelve to one, coming off one of the best games in NBA history. I don't think the Sixers are going to be great this year, but I think it could be a Russell Westbrook MVP because I I, I think Embiid might just finish with a stat line that is relatively unprecedented in modern NBA history. So head to the website today if you're like me and you want to throw some money down on that, or use your mobile phone to learn more. Bet online is where the game starts.
2: No, I I 100% agree. I think I, I like what you just said because the first half. He did seem a little timid. He did seem, as you mentioned, a little bit on, like, number one, like you just said, he clearly understood the moment, right? He understood what this was, where he was at. For both guys who are not going to be playing college basketball, that could have been their Final Four moment, right? So early in the season because, you know, both guys won't be playing in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, for Victor, this was his one Ultimately, this is one and only shot to show people here on U.S. soil what he can do, right? So I think there definitely were some nerves in that first half. And I I think he went into halftime and he was able to shake it all off a little bit. Actually, not all of it. And he came out in the second half and he came out angry. And he really went for it. He was doing unbelievable things on both ends. And the same thing for Scoot, right? I I really do want to reiterate that Scoot is an unbelievable prospect. If, If your listeners out there are not really... Uh, up to date on Scoot and who he is and what he's capable of doing. He is a super athletic point guard who, of course, the marquee skill for him will be his athleticism. But what he can do with his passing and his mid-range shooting and his now improving three-point shooting is unbelievable. He is a real prospect that teams are going to be talking about, and who knows, right? There is a very real world. I'm not saying it's going to happen for sure, but there is a world where Scoot may even end up becoming better than Victor over time because, you know, when we're we're talking about bigs of that size who are going to be playing with those types of guard skills, we we can't avoid the awkward conversation of health, right? I mean, it is scary to see a guy that big ever fall to the ground or slip on something. Recently, he was playing in France, and they have giant stickers on the court, and he slipped Mm -hmm. on one of the stickers and his body looked like it was in a really weird position when he landed and everyone held their breaths for a second right so we can't avoid that conversation but i i do want to say as you said both guys understood the understood the mo- moment wow what's wrong with me they understood the moment i, I apologize i am a little under the weather but good. um they understood the mo- moment they showed out they played really really well and i think for them like you said, that might have been their NCA Final Four moment because they won't be playing in that tournament, and they really showed out, and I think they showed the world like we deserve to be the number one and number two prospects in this class.
0: Yeah, and, and Corey, I know on your end, you, you got to take a look at uh, the number three and maybe the number four prospect in the Thompson Twins and, and a couple of other guys with overtime elite. Um, how, how do you feel like they stack up in that conversation? Are they kind of under-discussed in that conversation for the top two picks in the draft?
1: Maybe over-discussed in, oh, in, in my humble yeah. opinion. Well, let's, yeah. let's, let's hear it. Yeah, I, and look, I am a fan. Um, getting to see them up close was probably one of the things I wanted more than anything in this scouting process because they are going through an experience unlike anything I think any other prospect has ever gone through in that they're playing in a league that is in its second year, has six teams – And is made up like primarily of high school kids so here are these you know two top tier athletes who are going to immediately be top tier in the nba as soon as they enter and they're going up against kids that are 15 16 years old on some nights you know and so that's really hard to evaluate especially when you're watching you know, it on YouTube where their games were broadcast last year, not even in their entirety, you know, they were like clipped up and Mm. made to be like 40 minutes. Um, So, you know, who knows what was left out. Right. So seeing them up close was something that I was so super excited about. My impressions were, I came away a little bit lower on, Amen, who is right now, like you said, he is the consensus number three pick uh, regarding his preseason draft stock. I do the exercise at no ceilings NBA where I go through all of the biggest boards and average out all of the players draft stock every year. He is number three right now. Asar's yeah. stock is a little bit lower. Um, I think he came in at number seven. So I think that's a little bit more realistic for me. Ultimately I, I am of the opinion that Asar I'm a little higher on Asar than I'm in right now. And that is not me trying to be different. I just I think that his jump shot is a lot farther along. I think he has a lot of skills that are a little underrated compared to Amen. Mostly because he doesn't have the ball in his hands as a creator as much. And I think that when you're looking at the type of guard wing creator that Amen is, I don't know. Like his jump shot is very far away in my opinion. Now he maybe he comes to the league and he just lights the net on fire and I look ridiculous. Um. I'm, I'm okay with missing on that part of the evaluation if that were to occur. But like somebody like Josh Giddy, who maybe he would get compared to as far as like size and like vision, because he does have very good vision. Um, Giddy's form, at least you could be like, all right, that is workable. Right now, yeah. like, you know, I was in workouts with Amen, pri- you know, where he's just shooting around. And, um, you know, I'm not really exaggerating. He missed like, you know, eight shots in a row before yeah. like open just practice shots. And like, it doesn't look good. So, he's very far in that regard and NBA defenses are going to be so much more sophisticated than what he's seeing in the overtime elite league. And uh, so I have worries about how he's going to translate. Whereas with a SAR, I could see like a path to being a guy like Andrew Wiggins where he's used to playing off ball. He knows his role a little bit more. I think his jumper is way more fluid. So I could see that part of his game coming around to uh, the level where like he could hit spot up shots and that will unlock a lot of his athleticism. Amen's not going to have trouble beating that first level of defense, you know, uh, much like Russell Westbrook didn't, Jaden Ivey doesn't, but what's going to happen when he gets to the next level. And then when he gets to the hoop, I I don't think he has great touch around there. So there's just a lot of question marks. And it's not to say that these guys can't be good or they're not worth taking chances on. um, But I just feel like there are prospects that I'm a little bit more comfortable with as far as how they fit in the modern NBA and without trying to fall in love with the potential of what they theoretically could be, because a lot of the times that potential doesn't necessarily pay off the way you're expecting it to. But on the other side of the coin, there are prospects there that I got to see in person. And I've also gotten I, you know, I saw them at the the pro day in Atlanta. And then I also saw them play um, in like an all star game versus the top uh, high school talent in New Jersey with, you know, guys who are going to North Carolina and Duke. Yeah. And you know, the younger guys I'm very impressed with. And I think the experience for them is phenomenal because they're playing against older talent that is, you know, getting closer to to leaving and going to these high level schools. And the way that Overtime Elite has pivoted due to the NIL rules has been such a boon for the the talent that they're able to get um, because now these kids can still have their college eligibility and they can go and develop. And the developmental program that they have there is very impressive. I got to, speak with Ryan Gomes who's the coach of the Cold Hearts and um, just you know ask him about how he's developing them and how energetic he is on the floor and you know he's telling me you know he's seen so many things when he was with the Celtics that he could just yeah. read everything before it happens especially with high school age kids and like kind of shout that out and help so the developmental you know teams that they have there are phenomenal but I think that we're seeing the infancy of it and I actually wish that the Thompson Twins were there at a moment in time when this program was already established and not as the first couple of guys. So, um, but they're both impressive prospects. They're both inside my top 10. I just, I think that Scoot and Victor are on a different planet as, as prospects Victor might actually be from a different planet. And um, there are a lot of other guys in this class within that lottery and top five and top 10 that are equally as intriguing as the Thompson twins.
0: Yeah, for Amen. I, I know he's regarded as a different level of athlete, but when you were describing his game, I was almost thinking, like, wow, it sounds like RJ Barrett almost in terms of like some of his weaknesses <laughs> on offense, which uh yeah, you could yeah, I might be way off. Yeah, but like no. that was like in terms of like some of the concerns there, that's that's kind of the feeling I got.
1: He look, RJ was and always has been a better shooter just functionally, form, <laughs> um, but RJ is not anywhere close to the athlete. He yeah, is. different, but, at, but they are similar kind of in their strengths and weaknesses outside of those kind of things. Cause I think that RJ pre NBA was known as like a a playmaker and a guy that you wanted to have the ball in his hands. And that was one of the things that I think when he was being talked about um, as a draft prospect, it was like, this might be a guy who you can run offense through legitimately and kind of use him as as a point guard. I don't think we've seen a ton of that in the NBA. uh, But I think that is a part of his game. That's there much like amen. It's just, RJ has figured out how to leverage a lot of the other stuff based on the fact that he's not a total non-threat as a shooter. And how far I think RJ goes as a player as he develops more will hinge a lot on just how developed that jumper does become, uh, especially on the ball. But uh, I'm, in, I'm a little bit lower on than I was RJ as a shooter, as a prospect coming
0: out. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you on all that. Uh, let's, uh, let's pivot to the college basketball world because it's, I guess it's under discussed since, since to your point, Albert, neither Scoot nor Wemby are there, but, uh, it it seems like even, even if you like remove those two guys from the equation, this would just be a very enticing crop of, of, of college basketball prospects. So Albert, I'll, I'll swing it back to you. Who's, who's the one player that you're most intrigued by in the college basketball realm this year? I actually
2: thought a lot about this question because there are so many good players in college basketball. And I know Corey is easily going to have a different answer from me just because this class and the current state of college basketball is there's a lot of good talent out there. And the guy that I actually want to talk about is a guy who isn't playing right now because he's injured. But his team played last night um, and they played um, against Kansas and kind of struggled without him. And that guy is Dereck Whitehead. Uh, Derek Whitehead is—he's like what a good six six. Corey, am I yeah. right on this? Around six yeah, six, right?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm sure we're going to see six seven on yeah. some listings, but yeah,
2: but he doesn't look least, that tall.
1: But at least six six. He's not yeah. one of these guys who's listed at six six, who's really probably going to be like.
2: Six three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think he's around like six six, but um I'm I actually can't wait for him to come back. And the reason why is I, I we had a conversation last night. We were doing a live stream of the game. And for me, heading into the college basketball season, the intrigue with Derek Whitehead was clearly that he is a really, really good shooter. Um, he's really gonna be able to stroke the ball. Now the question with him is can he be The guy to run your offense that can run your offense and be like the key cog and the engine behind what makes your offense go. Now, the reason why I think Derek Whitehead is so interesting is because it's the perfect combination of situation and prospect. And what I mean by that is, guys, there are a lot of people out there. And I think Corey is one of them and myself included that have some questions about what is derek Whitehead going to look like with the ball in his hands? And if we give him heavy vol- volume and ask him to make decisions for the team on the offensive side of the ball, is he going to be able to create enough opportunities for himself and for his teammates? And the reason why this situation is perfect is because we saw last night that Duke team is uh, sorely lacking a main creator on that team. Now they do have a guy, in, uh, another freshman in Tyrese Proctor who did pop last night and did show some nice flashes last night but i I would like to see Derek whitehead kind of take the reins of that offense lead them offensively play alongside a tyrese proctor and kyle filipowski had a great game last night as well for them and they have mark mitchell so they have talent on that team but they need a guy to make the team go and so um this will be the ultimate test for Derek whitehead when he comes back healthy is can he lead this team to the quote unquote promised land? Can he lead this offense with the talent that they have? And if he can't, then that'll be an answer in itself and it'll be okay. Maybe this is something that he needs to continue to work on, or maybe that just won't be his role on the next level either is kind of what we might end up finding an answer for. So Derek Whitehead currently on my board. I I actually redid my board uh, the last couple of days, and I think I have him about fifth or sixth and, Depending on how the season goes, he may go all the way up to three. He may drop down to somewhere in the late lottery, but he is a guy that I think because of the situation that he's going to find himself in at Duke will be able to answer a lot of questions one way or the other.
0: All right, guys, I know it sucks, but that is it for today's episode of Locked On Next, we were splitting this one up into two parts. So stay tuned. Uh, I think it'll probably come out on, on Tuesday. For you guys, I got to double check the schedule. But sometime early next week, you will hear more from Corey and Albert uh, diving deep on uh, some college basketball takes and, and who their favorite prospect in this year's draft will be for the New York Knicks. So that next on Lockdown Knicks.